and welcome to the Sportsgrab Podcast, your bite-sized guide to enter the sports industry. And joining me, as per usual, is the high-velocity guy, Ruben Williams. How are you, mate? G'day, Ryan. I'm fantastic. Thank you very much. I think it's more appropriate that you are the high-velocity guy today, seeing as you've reached some extreme velocities to make your way over to the western coast of Australia <laughs> to revisit your family for the first time in over 12 months. How has it been back home in the uh, beautiful town of Perth? It has been absolutely fabulous. Uh, love the great state of Western Australia. It's been a long time coming uh, to get here. I think it's been 16 months, I think it was, by the end of it. But fantastic to reconnect with family and friends, Rubes. Uh, so, yeah, it's sunny. It's 23 degrees and uh, the weather somewhat better than it is over in Melbourne at the moment, but, you know, that's okay. But, uh, no, enjoying it and looking forward to getting back in the studio with you. Um, I must say, I don't, I don't think I love the home podcast set up as much as the beautiful studio at the Commons. So <laughs> hopefully back there soon. Yes. Yeah, we're a bit back to our roots today. We did 150 episodes from the bedroom and uh, now we're back to doing that. So... But no, I'll be happy to have you back, but I'm glad you've uh, got the chance to see some family. It is good. Yeah. I, I, I think I've done a podcast before in this room. Uh, so hopefully this is the last. You're in your sister's uh, room. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. I, I am in my sister's room. It, it's a converted room into a bit of a home office, which is great. Uh so, yeah, it's not, not a bad setup by any means. Uh, mm. I just like being there, being about a metre away from you, be able to really connect with you on a deeper level. So, uh, anyway, no, we, could, we could go on about that. Well, first takeaway from this episode, Ryan records from his sister's bedroom. That's where the Sports Grand <laughs> Podcast has uh, grown out of. <laughs> the professional podcast we run, mate. Yep. Awesome. Well, if you want to learn more about who we are, feel free to connect with us on LinkedIn or be, jump, be sure to jump into the Sports Grand community uh, where you can ask us any questions, ask any members any questions and some great organisations inside there where you can also bounce your questions off as well. So jump in as soon as you can. Absolutely. And a quick shout out to one of our members. Jerome Andes is one of our favourites, Ryan. He's been with us for over a year. He's just landed a job with an AFL side, the Western Bulldogs, in the role of membership services administrator. Administrator. So... Well done to you, Jerome. That is a fantastic job. I know, uh, Ryan, you'll be very happy to hear these ended up at the Bulldogs, given your connections as well. Uh, but uh, for those who are l- looking to live the dream like Jerome is in the AFL, uh, be sure to jump into the sports grad community where you can find plenty more opportunities to get your foot in the sports industry. Absolutely, Rubes. As per usual, we start the episode with a quick word from our Great friends at Deakin University. They are the number one ranked sports science school in the world. Did you know that, Rubes? I did. I did. It's, it's incredible. And, that, and they've actually been ranked that for the third time this year. So huge congrats to Deakin University. And you know what? You know what is also great is that they are the only university in Australia that has a number one ranking, a worldwide number one ranking for any field. Only university in Australia to have a worldwide number one ranking for a particular field. Wow. Well, I mean, if you're looking for a career in sport, there really, there really is only one choice, uh, given that's the case. So Deakin is the place to start if you're looking to land that dream job in sport. So to find out more and apply for one of their sports courses, go to deakin.edu.au and find all those courses available to you. Now, Ryan, today we are chatting with one of the products of Deakin University, straight out of the School of Exercise Science. His name is Jacob Tober. Now, when I first ventured down to Deakin University and I started my exercise science degree, Jacob was the poster boy. They brought Jacob back in to say, hey, this is who you can be. This is what you can do with your career. And Jacob is an incredible example. And I remember him back then and it's been well over five years since uh, he was presenting to me in that lecture theatre. And since then, he's gone on to do some amazing things. But Jacob, I mentioned he's a Deakin graduate. He started out at the Oakley Chargers, part of the TAC Cup Under-18s AFL Pathway Program in an internship there. He then picked up a Core Advantage internship, Core Advantage being a private gym in Melbourne, where he went on to become a head coach. And we'll soon find out how that almost didn't happen. He almost stuffed it up at the very first mm. hurdle. But he's gone on to become a head coach of Core Advantage as well as a business partner. And in the process, Ryan, 
He's found his niche in velocity-based training. So you can find him on Instagram as VBT Coach, uh, where him and his brother have just developed an app called Metric to help more people uh, develop velocity-based training uh, methods. So plenty to look forward to with Jacob. But I think the number one thing that uh, stood out for me was how he's absolutely stuffed up this interview. He's a very smart guy and his own smarts got the better of him. So he was walked into this interview thinking, here I am just going to land an internship. And he's ended up with egg on his face. But thankfully, <laughs> it's turned out to be the greatest opportunity that's ever presented itself to Jacob. And uh, he has taken it, run with it. And um, yeah, you'll find out just where it's landed him. Love it, Rubes. Uh, I loved his piece around building compelling content. Now, you mentioned just then he's the founder of VBT, um, VBT Coach, which is a fantastic Instagram. I've just given it a follow as, we, uh, as we're about to go on air. So it's a great page, but you can see on there his sort of his strategy with his content. He mentions a lot of things around some stories about you know, being up late, having to do certain number of videos per day, the quality had to be right, all that, all that coming together. Um, and he, he also fired back a question at us around our content. So it was great to talk about uh, some sports road content as well. But uh, yeah, really cool stuff. Yeah. And then finally, he really hones in on the importance of feedback. You'll, you'll learn very quickly that Jacob is just obsessed with anything he sinks his teeth into, whether it's sports science, velocity-based training, creating content. If he's getting involved, he wants to know what's the best way to do it, where can you learn more from, and how can he improve it. So feedback is obviously an incredible way to improve, and Jacob dives into some of the best ways that he's given feedback, received feedback, uh, and what he's learned from it as well. Great. Well, let's jump into it. Grab a pen. Enjoy this chat with Jacob Tober. Jacob, welcome to the Sports Grade Podcast. Thanks for having me on, Ryan. Thanks for having me on, guys. Jacob, it's a pleasure to connect with you. I'm not sure if I remember back, but I reckon it was in one of my very first exercise science classes at Deakin University. They thought, let's introduce one of the uh, like the top graduates who's come out of Deakin. And I'm pretty sure you were presented on the stage as, hey, this is what you can be, guys. This is what you can aspire to. This is Jacob from, from Core Advantage. I'm not sure if you recall meeting each other there or not, but... Um, You've uh, certainly come a long way. <laughs> I remember our connection at dusk. So we did a, you had a dusk event and I came along as sort of one of the guests or you had a student and guest collaboration type thing, but I do not remember being paraded on stage as a, as a sample student. That is not something I remember. Maybe I've blocked that from my, uh, from my traumatic past. <laughs> I remember it fondly. I thought, gosh, because I think you had been given some award for finishing top of the class. Is that I, right? I did get ESSA student of the year. That would have been Whatever it. that's worth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, there you go. No, I, I remember it very well. I didn't end up in the same exercise science path, but I remember thinking, what a guy. <laughs> well, thank you, yeah. And thanks, Deacon, for uh, for creating the connection all those years ago. Mm. Any students trained to be paraded on stage post-graduation, <laughs> you king of the class. Exactly. Mm. Now, Jacob, you've, uh, you've been graduated for what? Ten, almost 10 years now? Yeah, nine. Let's keep it no, under a decade. Nine That's years. Just nine. So 2013 <laughs> was my last year at Deakin, yeah. Yep, yep. Um, but you were able to make an incredible start into to your career at Core, Core Advantage and pick up some early experiences at the Oakley Chargers as well. Uh, and having talked to you more recently, some of the things that are still important to you and the success of your job were important back then, and that's a real emphasis on those soft skills such as being able to communicate well, being able to think critically, be able to use logic, make decisions, all that kind of thing. Um, and so I thought we might kind of use that as a bit of a framework for this conversation to um, showcase some of your career. But I want to go right back to the start because it almost didn't happen. What, uh, what happened at your first interview? Yeah, so the, the soft skill thing is interesting. It's still something I'm working on and we can probably talk about you know, constantly learning and, and it's still a, a space for improvement. But I nearly, yeah, nearly stuffed up before the starting line. So uh, Deakin 2011 to 2013 uh, was sort of – uh, back then it was like sports science is the goal, coaching, that kind of space is where I belong. Um, and I was like, well, the only thing you can really do here in Australia is, is footy. I'm in Victoria. There's 10 footy, 10 AFL teams. There's a dozen or so VFL teams. That's the path. You know, TAC Cup, VFL, AFL, that's the only real option. And that was before I learned that private sector was a thing and you could do things with, you know, uh, consulting type stuff and work like that. 
Um, and so just sort of started as a footy trainer and then did the Oakley Chargers thing. But along the way, I was playing basketball. I was quite serious about my basketball when I was at, at uni. And uh, through one of my teammates was training with Durham at Core Advantage. He said, you're into this weight thing. You really like basketball. Go check out this this guy. And so emailed, cold email, just, hey, Durham, my name's Jacob. Here's my resume. If you've got anything, let me know. Got the reply. No, nothing here for you. We'll let you know if anything changes. Meanwhile, I went up to Oakley, started the under-15s program there. That was for my 140 hours with the placement in, in third year. Uh, and then Durham calls me back in uh, January. So I emailed in November. He calls me back in uh January says, do you want to come in for an interview? We're going to do a formal internship, first one of its kind. Starts in Feb. We'd love to have you all. Sorry, I'm busy. I'm at Oakley now. I uh, missed your chance. <laughs> I'm on to my, my footy pathway. That's the only option I have to do the footy pathway. He says, well, what I'm doing is I'm going to open up this gym. It's going to have six squat racks. It's going to be like a college set up, you know, a factory for high performance, if you will. We'll do rehab this, this, and, you know, I'm pr- primarily in basketball. I've already got 80 athletes. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, sure, I'll come in for the interview. Uh, January. 38 degrees, I go to the gym that morning, do my heavy squats and my cleans and all that sort of stuff, and I'm a world-class sweater. Like <laughs> my, my most important skill is my ability to sweat profusely. And Good. so hot day, do a workout in the morning, go to this gym, third floor in St Kilda. It's scorching hot. There's no air conditioning, just a few ceiling fans. And I go into this tiny little office, about the same size as this podcast room, and uh, then um, – uh, going to this podcast room in this tiny little office, the three of us sit down and they grill me, just absolutely grill me in this interview. And I was unfairly confident is how I would put it. Oh, no. I was, yeah, I was cocky. Oh, no. I was confident. And I didn't realize because I'd never had this feedback. No one had ever told me, hey, you're a bit much for a 30-year uni student. Because <laughs> um, I you know, read T Nation and bodybuilding.com and I'd write, written my own programs and I was tall and athletic. That wasn't my programming. That was just my genetics. I've got a, a big, broad dad, and so that helped. <laughs> and so I go into this interview, and I tell them how to do their job. And Durham's got 20 years of experience, and Rob is one of the smartest people I've ever met who's now on to do physio, and he's now in the corporate world. And I just like, if I was doing a rehab, I'd do it like this. And if I was teaching athlete, I Scott, this is how I do it. And they sent me out of the room, had a little mid-interview conference, and they came out to the, the now in the spin bike room. As this gym's got a whole bunch of rooms. And I've gone... Look, you didn't interview great, <laughs> um, but we've only got four applicants, so you're in. <laughs> and so I got in as a product of having only four applicants. It was the first of its type, and they took a massive punt on me because they're like, "Is this guy coachable? He's come mm. in, he's told us how to do it." And mm. I didn't get all that feedback immediately. They sort of said, "Oh, thank you very much for your time. You're in. We'll get you some details." But then the next week, Durham calls me and goes, "Look, you didn't interview great." you really kind of stuffed up and for these specific reasons. So it gave me specific examples of how I did it. And I was like, oh, shit, I'm a jerk. (laughs) 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 I'm a proper know-it-all Dunning-Kruger in the middle of my I don't know what I don't know phase and I've just been like given a lifeline by this guy. And because the thing Mm. was I really wanted this spot because I really liked the vision that Durham was selling about the new gym and this idea of private sector not having to do the footy pathway because those jobs are cutthroat. Like there's only 18 footy teams. There's only 18 head strength and conditioning coaches and they don't all retire at the end of each year. It's not like each year it's a brand new 18. It's like some of those guys are there for 10, 20, 30 years. Um, and if the team goes bad, the whole department gets cleaned out. So it's cutthroat. And so I like the idea of private sector stability, a bit more, not freedom's the wrong word, but a bit more sort of uh, ownership of your own path and your own destiny. And so Dome called me up, gave me this feedback and I was like, right, I need to check myself. I need to try this again. And so, yeah, that six-month internship, I learned uh, so much, not just about how to coach a squat and what to look for, but how to communicate, how to ask good questions, how not to be a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> what, do you, like, remember some of his feedback, like, word for word? Like, what, how specific was he? No, because I was – I'd never been given feedback that honestly like that, mm. uh, and it was the most refreshing thing I'd ever received. Um, I don't remember it word for word because I was like in almost not a state of shock, but I was like, this is so new to be just have someone tell me how I stuffed up. Like, you know, mm. you, you play sport and you, I was a basketballer mostly. So you, you'd be playing basketball and you get subbed and the coach go, Jacob, you need to do this in the post and set screens here and you know, I need more intense. That's just how sport mm. is. And I didn't think that work could be like that. That mm. You could give that came, same level of feedback because work is high performance. You know, you need to be good at your job. You need to follow up on things, do admin, reply mm. to emails, all those kind of things that 
you know, setting screens, <laughs> making good passes, being in the right position for the play, all that kind of stuff. It's the same thing, but just not sweating, <laughs> not, <laughs> not, phys- not physical, it's intellectual and, and, and emotional stuff. And so I don't remember the feedback. I remember dripping with sweat in this office because um, I wore a shirt and I was like mm. sort of went all smart. I remember like the the this pale orange and blue sort of checkered shirt was like dark navy by the end <laughs> oh, of, the, no. of, the, uh, <laughs> of the interview. But I don't remember the feedback. I just remember going, wow, okay, I've been checked. Um, and it was really, really valuable. And I remember then the six months of incredible learning I got and the mentorship I got out of Dime because it was, it was transformative in a literal sense. Mm-hmm. I'm interested to hear, you know, once you, I guess you've gone from being someone who was really high on confidence and you went into that interview thinking, I've got this nailed, and then they've kind of pulled you down a peg. How how did you sort of respond and and react to that, uh, like following on from that? Because it can often be a bit of a a kick in the guts, I'd imagine. Yeah, so... I'm I'm a pretty self-assured person. I don't I don't need other people's validation, so I don't have to follow the latest trends. And I used to when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, I used to have oh everyone's wearing Nikes. I have to have Nikes. Everyone's doing this. I have to have this. I used to be a lot like that, but during uni, I sort of realised like I don't. I'm my own person. I can sort of follow my own path. I don't need your validation to confirm I'm a good human. Um, so it wasn't an attack on my character, but so much as my professional potential. And so I think I made that separation early. It's like. Durham doesn't think I'm an arsehole, although I, he probably should have. I was. <laughs> um, but it was more that like, look, you've got potential, you've got talent, you've got confidence and you know you do know your stuff to a degree, but you also need to like, there's a pecking order here and there's you need to sort of honour your elders and respect your elders and come at things from the right position, not as in like, I'm here to help you guys. <laughs> what do you know? I've, I'm in my third year of sports science. How, can, <laughs> how could you possibly not need my help? Um, but more recognizing those power dynamics and like recognizing that this I'm here to learn not to <laughs> tell people how to do their job. And mm-hmm. so I made that switch with that feedback. I was like, okay, this is a learning opportunity I'm here to absorb. I didn't realize I needed to absorb and I think that was the problem. And so making that change was really helpful. And I think the big key was it wasn't personal. It wasn't about me. It was about my ability as a professional, as a coach and, and all that sort of stuff. I think that's like just awesome to hear because you know often i think people can go into an interview and get some feedback that they might not love they might think that they've that they're pretty good at what they've presented and they you know won't take that feedback on it feels like you took what happened there and it really flicked a switch for you and and made a real difference in your professional life and probably personal as well but it's just a great example of actually taking on the feedback as, as much as you can, um, you know, swallow up a bit of pride and be like, yep, no, that, that's probably some some good feedback from someone who has probably a lot more experience than I do. I should probably take that on. So it's, yeah. yeah. And, and that ability to kind of think objectively and remove yourself is so important at any stage of your career. So for you to be able to do that so early on and at a time yeah. that – required it so intensely as well yeah (laughs) um has been such a great success factor for you as well um i want to go back a little bit further because you don't get to a point where you're extremely self-assured and you're essa student of the year (laughs) without any you know sort of reason for it so what were you like as a student and how did you get to that place um through uh, uh i was a school captain in primary school um so i was always a bit of a you know a bit of a teacher's pet to a degree um I'm naturally smart, so I've never had to work hard to sort of logic. My logic's always been my strongest thing. Like, oh, okay, that means that means that. I could logic chain quite well. It's always been a, a natural thing for me to do that. Um, and so I suppose in terms of the like removing ident- identity from the feedback thing, I, I'm not sure where that came from. I'm not sure how that started. But uh, I think doing something you love has helped. So I've always mm-hmm. been passionate about sport and then about science and then about improving performance. So that's always made it easier to do that stuff. But I, to be honest, I actually don't know. I've never deliberately been like, oh, I'm going to be great at feedback <laughs> or this is a pivotal moment in my life. I, I wasn't thinking about that at the time. I was just like, well, he's given me this feedback and this opportunity. Why would I not then take that feedback and, le- and try and become mm. better based on that? Because what I was able to recognize is like I was wrong. I was wrong mm. to be that cocky and I was wrong to assume that I knew everything. And so there was no 
in my mind, there was no alternative than to go, well, yeah, this is a learning person. This person knows some, knows a lot more than me about this specific thing, both coaching and about giving feedback and, you know, how to develop people. And so it's like, well, this is just a no-brainer to like follow this person's lead for it turned out to be it turned mm. has turned out to be nine years, but you don't know that at the time. Like maybe I'm gonna be here for two years, I'm gonna learn so much and then go back to that footy pathway mm. or go into a different industry, who knows? But it was my like, well, there's just What's the alternative? I stubbornly kick my heels and go to another interview and do the same thing and then don't get that feedback. And go, I keep losing all the interviews. All these yeah. people, they don't know what they're missing out. I'm so talented. I'm going to yeah. change their industry. And it's like, oh, all right, I've done one interview. I stuffed it up really. I've got a sample of one. I've stuffed it up and I've been given the, you know, been blessed with the person who's actually willing to tell me that I've stuffed up royally. Oh, well, yeah, I'm going to mm. learn some more from this person. Clearly, I've got some stuff to work on. Mm. Um, so I think. And I, I wasn't consciously going, oh, I'm a terrible person. I'm a jerk. I'm a this. I was just mm. more like, oh, okay, I made a big mistake. Yeah. Let's, let's use these next six months to remedy that mistake. Mm. So, yeah, not really deliberate per se, but it just sort of followed that way. I think because mm. of my logical brain, I'm very, I think in grids and I think yeah. in kind of sequences <laughs> and chains like that. Yeah. And what about um, academically as well? How, how did you um go about your study you know we mentioned as a student of the year You're obviously very smart as well but that comes with a lot of time and practice what were you like during university um i lived on res mm. so i would show up at class two minutes late because i left at the, at the start time for class so that wasn't a uh, a good reflection of who i was but i was i was pretty studious so I'd, I'd go to all the lectures i wouldn't do them online i'd take notes um, I studied pretty pretty aggressively. Sports science, when I was doing it, I'm not sure how it is now, but it was quite a, a, short, a minimal contact time in terms of hours. So I did go, like for every hour I put in, in a class, I was then doing another hour at home. Um, and at the same time, I was getting practice. So from second year, I was sports training for the Sandy Zebras in the VFL and I was taping ankles and I was you know, grilling the physio and asking questions mm. and learning how to massage. And So I was kind of getting my hands dirty at the same time as doing the course. And then I played my own sport as well. So I was practicing what I was learning in class in my own you know, junior basketball coaching, my own sports training at the VFL team, my own basketball, my own gym work. So I was kind of do uh, learning and then practicing in a few different environments. So I had a good chance to sort of tweak and, oh, that's an interesting concept. I'll try that with my junior basketballers. Oh, that's an interesting training principle. I'll try that in my own, you know, strength workouts or whatever it might be. Mm. So I think that combination of uh, self-experimentation along with the theory stuff from Deacon was really valuable. So it kind of like became your entire world. You were like learning all these things at university and just applying them everywhere else, which seemed to be a lot of aspects of your life because you were extremely sporty. Absolutely, yeah. And mm. that's uh, the, uh, the beautiful thing about like doing a career and doing a course that you're really passionate about. It's like if you love artwork, then you're going to learn things in an art class and then you're going to go home and you're going to draw and mm. paint and you know, yeah. graphic design and whatever it is. And so for me, it was I'm learning about the body, I'm learning about physiology, it's ah. Oh, the calf works like that. Well, I should be changing how I do my calf raises. I should be doing seated calves for the soleus as well as my standing for the gastroc. Or, you know, foot intrinsic muscles are really interesting. Oh, let's go do some barefoot work. So I was mm. playing with all these ideas and then feeling them and then that was making it stickier. So that was making the information sticky because it's like, oh, that applies to three sets of 12 or 45 second rest periods yeah. or whatever that little thing was. And you just, over the course of three years, you accumulate a lot of workouts mm. and a lot of coaching sessions and they just sort of add it up. Yeah. I think that's really interesting and like a, a great example in terms of like, just how great people become great at what they do. You really have to immerse yourself in it um, because I know a lot – when I was a student, I would see myself and a lot of other students kind of go in, try and learn a few things and then go back into the rest of my life and just kind of zone out or forget about it. Whereas for the people who come out on top and do very well, it just it just doesn't stop and it doesn't stop because – you don't want it to stop. Like you're loving every minute of it or just about every minute of it. <laughs> yeah. And um, it becomes easy to learn and easy to want to learn more and you become curious and all that sort of thing. So mm. um, it's just interesting kind of thinking about how do you become extreme? How do you get the most out of your degree? Well, you've really just got to be... Pick the right degree. Pick the right degree is probably <laughs> yeah. the most essential part of it all. <laughs> I couldn't believe the students that would show up for sports science practicing you know, VO2 max tests and rowing erg things and stuff like that in their jeans and their like you know boots or high heels or whatever it was yeah. and then you go oh do you play sport nah yeah <laughs> what's your degree oh sports science with management no no just sports science <laughs> do you play sport nah no nah, i hate sport <laughs> it's like what are you doing yeah. go do health science go <laughs> yeah. do management do something like you don't have to be obsessed with sport to work in the sporting industry there's lots of you know there's marketing there's sales there's memberships there's mm. health stuff there's psychology so many things other than but it's like we're doing VO2 max tests. We're doing strength tests. We're running sprints. And he's like, oh, no, I don't do that. Sorry. You know, the old PE thing where they show up in the Crocs and, oh, and I've got a letter from mum. I can't do that class. Yeah. 
It's like you're paying <laughs> money for this. You should be immersed in it. Yeah. Yeah. Can't wear jeans to a VO2 test. <laughs> and I was always the first to throw my hand up. I was like, I want to try everything because if I'm if I end up down the physiology VO2 max testing, I want to know what the VO2 max test feels like so I can coach through mm. that or give tips to yeah. my athletes and things like that or, or know what a good score is so that I've done, I've, you know, I got a 55. That is amazingly hard. So someone gets a 60, I'm like, you're doing really good. Like, you know, and get a, a sense for where my – soon-to-be clients, members, athletes are going to be mm. based on experience. Yeah. There's, there's a very – I think we've talked about this before, Ryan, but there's a very interesting parallel between what you just talked about and what experts in other fields talk about which makes them great at their job, and that is empathy for their core customer. Mm. If you can fully understand what your athletes are going through, yep. then you're going to be able to coach them better. Same as um, – I think it was um, – Finn Bradshaw, who's the uh, head of digital at the ICC, reports into the CEO of international cricket. He said empathy for the cricket fan is the most important thing in digital and yep. being able to immerse yourself in all the different types of content that they consume and the ways that they like to enjoy cricket makes him good at his job. And that is almost exactly what you're talking about in terms of immersing yourself in what is the athlete going to go through. I want to go through that too so I can understand that better. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Um, Ruben mentioned it at the top of the episode, but what are the ways you need to use, you know, critical thinking, logic, decision making, communication in your job today? So we're jumping forward a little bit, but mm-hmm. interested to see, you know, what that world looks like for you. Yeah, so my my world's pivoted a lot in the last two and a half years. I've moved from uh, basically full time coaching and programming. So I was onboarding new athletes, running performance and you know assessment testing, uh, coaching 20, 30 hours a week in the floor, you know, counting reps and spotting things and stuff like that, writing programs. The last two and a half years now, I'm working on the sports tech side of things, where we're developing our new VBT app metric, which we might talk about later. What does VBT stand for? Uh, VBT is velocity-based training. It's the idea of uh, tracking your bar speed and other metrics in the gym to help uh, objectify and quantify what's going on in the gym. So not just counting reps and load, but actually like, well, how fast did you do it? How much power did you put mm, in that bar? Oh, yeah. how, how deep did you go with your range of motion? How much time and attention? Those kind of metrics can be measured by analyzing uh, more data within each rep. Um, but yeah, building a tech a tech side, of, doing into the tech side of things, it's sort of like, okay, this VBT thing, velocity-based training thing is quite quite broad and there's a lot of different schools of thought. It's like, well, we have to build an app and so we're designing an app within it and this app needs to have opinions. It needs to sort of have a direction and an, an idea for how people can use it. So thinking about that sort of stuff, reading research and going, okay, well, that's an interesting research paper, but they only had 10 subjects and they weren't actually trained. So how does that apply to us? How do we turn that into a feature or do we not need that feature and people shouldn't be using that? So it's changed a lot uh, recently in terms of the critical thinking and logic side of things. Um, Assessing other apps is really important for us. So looking at other sports tech things uh, and other non-sports tech things. So we looked at uh, Duolingo, for example, as a really great uh, example of how an app teaches you as you use it. Um, and different features you can have to make things more interesting and engaging. Um, in terms of communication, I think the big part for us is we're now sort of got – we're online, we're a fully remote team, so making sure everyone's obvious is the same obvious. You might go, oh, we need such and such. But if you actually really – if someone else is hearing that and they haven't gone through your thought process, mm. it's not obvious to them. And so you go, well, you talk to the developer and you go, we need to do this and we need to change this feature. And then you come back and it's like, it's not what you thought. And it's like, ah, oh, okay, <laughs> I should have been very clear and written some dot points and actually drawn you a mock-up and things like that. So communication is really tricky in you know the, the post-COVID world where we're all online, might only have one video meeting a week. The rest is all via chat or via notes. Um, so it changes. Mm. And when you were at uh, Core Advantage, what problems did you kind of notice that led to the start of VBT? Yeah, so we've always liked the idea of uh, more quantified lifting, the idea of sort of getting more objective data during your training as a motivational tool just for feedback, but also mm. as a way to monitor readiness, keep athletes you know uh, in check and sort of track progress with, with other metrics. Um, but a lot of the solutions were cumbersome. So you know, connecting to Bluetooth, you've got this expensive device you have to maintain, keep charged. You've only got one of them and you've got six squat racks, mm. so that becomes a, a limiting factor as well. And so, and on top of that, the software and the apps were never easy to use. So like you couldn't just give it to the athlete and go, here, uh, Sally, here's the app, here's the device, go for it. Because they're like, well, what does this mean? And, what is, and so it was all always about making this thing easy to communicate with athletes who are then going to use it. So it's like, okay, here's the app, go for it, do your sets. And then they can go, oh, yeah, cool. All right, I was faster than I was last week. Or my range of motion isn't as deep. So mm-hmm. I need to you know, take a seat off for my squats and go a little deep or a little shallower because my knees hurt. And you can use those metrics to help with that. And so 
there's just we've tried plenty of options. We just didn't like any of them for our own selfish needs. So we started playing around with developing our own, basically. Wow. Very technical. I love it though. But it, yeah, it's interesting. I, I feel like everything I know about going to the gym is just do 10 reps of like three <laughs> sets of 10. Like it's never been about velocity. So yeah, can of jump into that soon. But mm. um, uh, tell us a little bit about the, the timeline that, you know, has taken place to, to get to this point. So you're obviously a business partner at Core Advantage. What did that look like from a, a timing perspective, but also what did you need to show and prove to, to become a business partner at Core Advantage? Yeah, we'll probably go back. And, and before before you jump into that, you mentioned a, a guy called Durham a couple yep. of times too. Do you want to do you mind explaining yeah. who he, who he is? Yeah, we've kind of jumped forward in the story. We should go back to <laughs> follow our narrative. So back from uh, good student Jacob through to terrible intern Jacob, and then into business partner Jacob. Probably the transition <laughs> we need to make. So uh, Durham McInnes, he's the founder at Core Advantage. He's one of the longest serving professional and private sector strength and conditioning coaches in Melbourne. Uh, brilliant at what he does. A fantastic coach. A great first principles thinker. A lot of that sort of Turning my logical brain into then asking better questions has all been through Durham's help. And so he's very good at that stuff. I was like, well, why do we have to squat deep for basketballers? They never spend time down there. They only spend time up at the rim. So we should be doing that, you know, stuff, things, little things like that have been some good logic chaining that he's done as well. And so, uh, so he started Core Advantage, um, but we were in someone else's gym just sort of renting space. And so the goal was to open our own high-performance center, very much like a college kind of setup. Track down one side, squat racks on the other, machines everywhere space and stuff for everything but that requires money and so part of uh, the process of moving from one gym to the next was to get investment and so uh, Durham and his brother Tommy who's also part of our uh, business well he's our he's a head of product for metric he um, they started doing investment raise and so while they were doing that I then became a surrogate head coach running the gym keeping that running while they then moved to set up this new gym and part of that was we're an early business. We didn't have that much money. Uh, and so I was doing a lot of work uh, and they couldn't afford because the business just didn't have the, the capital to afford to pay me. So instead uh, I said, well, how about you give me some equity? I think this thing's really cool. I'm, I'm in for the long run. Um, how about I you know, sweat equity my way in? And so you pay me enough so I can pay my rent and keep the lights on. Um, but I'm willing to sacrifice some salary now, get some equity in this, this small little startup and, and see where it goes. And so they thought that was a great idea. They really liked my development over the last 12 months. And so, so, I, that, so that was your idea? Uh, yeah, initially uh, I was doing some extra contract uh, work. We were going out to uh, companies doing some, like some corporate health type stuff, and mm. I was I'd, I'd taken over that side of things and was delivering it. Um, and we just didn't have much money in the business. Yeah. It was just, you know, we had eighty athletes, and there was now three of us and eight interns, and, and we're trying to save money and raise money to, mm. to go into this new gym. And it's like, you kind of owe me a bit of money for this corporate work I've been doing. Why don't you just give me a percent instead? Just give me a slice of the company because they had a value on the company, and I'd yep. seen the pitch deck. I was like, well, if that's value that, you owe me this. How about we just round it up? Because yeah. <laughs> I, I like there was more contract work, in the, and it wasn't like me sneakily rounding it up. I, yeah. I knew I was going to be doing more work. It's like instead of just running a tab on this work, yeah, um, let's make it next work. And there's a leap of faith involved in that. So the company could have fallen over at any stage. They could have gone, "No, we've changed our mind. We're not opening the new gym." And uh, there was a risk involved in that. But it was like, this is so cool. What we're doing, what we're building, is could be so cool. I'm young. I've got time to make up for those kind of mistakes. I had a little bit of savings. Why not? Why not just jump in and have a crack at something like this? Same, similar to you guys here. Like you want to run your own shop and it's like, yeah, you could work at, you know, these cool jobs that want us and, and want us involved. Or we could have a, you know, a little bit of a jump and have a crack at doing something cool that you really care about. And so, yeah, it started as I just sort of asked, how about you make it just pay me 1%? And they're like, that's an awesome idea. We're so excited <laughs> that you see our vision that you want in. Mm. Uh, and then that I was pretty important in setting up the new gym, literally laying the floor and cutting the tiles around all the corners in the gym, which is not a job I recommend for anyone. <laughs> That's a horrible job. I'm never doing it again. Um, but literally that sort of stuff. And it's like they then came back to me and said, look, you've been so important in us. Don't worry about the 1%. Let's make it five. And so they then rewarded my show of faith with mm. a further show of faith. And I became a full business partner at that point. Nice. That is a... Uh incredible creative thinking for someone early in their career to think, all right, I'm willing to make a sacrifice, but I can think of a way to make up for it because I believe in what we're trying to achieve here. And Durham seems like an incredible mentor to want to continue to work under. I think finding the right person to work under is almost more important than finding the right job to pursue because that's essentially where you can learn from. Exactly. The the right uh, place as opposed to the right position. Mm. So I've kind of, 
all mm. through my time at Corey Ranch, I've made my own position and my own job. But that's through the trust I have with Durham and Tommy and with the business as a whole to be able to go, look, this is, I think, the next best position for us to be. I need to be focusing my time on doing X job. And they're like, all right, go for it. Yep. And so there's that trust goes both ways in that I can make a good decision about where the business needs to go, what skills I need to develop. And then I'm given a kind of free reign to then go and pursue that new avenue, whether it's mm-hmm. media and vlogs or uh, – you know, the technology stuff, that was my idea. So Davey is uh, my brother. He's our developer. He's our lead uh, technology. He developed Metric and the computer vision algorithm. And it was my idea to hire him. I said, Darren, we need to hire Davey. He's the smartest. I've got three brothers. He's the smartest of the Tobers. <laughs> we need to have him in our business. We need to do this. And Darren's like, okay, developers are expensive, but okay. And so <laughs> we did it and it's so far paying off pretty well. Um, but those sort of having the trust and having that sort of mentor-mentee and now what has become a business partner-type relationship mm. um, has been vital, yeah. And, and how old were you when you stepped into the business? So interned in 2013, uh, I would have been 22 or 23. 22. So yeah, coming up to 10 years. Wow, wow eh? I think if you went to a lot of exercise science students at university right now mm. and said, you know, this is a direction where you can take your career, you can, can become a business partner, you know, a couple of years out of university, a lot of them would look at you and think, that's not an option. Like, no, that's for people in their thirties, forties, fifties who go on and create companies. I can't do that at 22. That is, um, yeah, I think that's a great example for where your career can get to. Lucky, like mm. great timing to. But you, you create that luck at the same time. You do create that luck. So I got good timing with, uh, if I'd been five years later and interviewed at Court Avenger, I wouldn't have got an internship spot because mm. we went from interviewing four people a semester to 50 people a semester. And yeah. I would have been in the middle half with my cocky, terrible interview skills. <laughs> um, and I'd be on a different path. But you're right, you do make your own luck along the way. And so getting in was lucky. But once I was in having the skills to go, this feedback's been so helpful, act on it and, and get better. Uh, and then having the thinking to go, well, how about I become a partner in this? This is really cool. But e- each of those decisions wasn't a deliberate, I'm going to become a business partner yeah. at 24. That wasn't <laughs> yeah. the strategy along the way. It was just kind of like each each option was presented. It was like, well, that just seems like the best option. Yeah. So each, like each time it's like, okay, well, I've been given this feedback. The best option is just to continue learning from this person who's – because giving feedback is hard. Like taking feedback is uncomfortable and squirmy, but think about the person giving you feedback saying, hey, Jacob, you sucked in there. Like yeah. that's hard for them too because they've got to do that face-to-face or on a phone call. That's also uncomfortable for them. So feedback like that is a blessing and a gift. And, and they have no obligation to do that as oh, well. Exactly. Yeah. They can just send you on their way and be like, let's go have lunch or whatever. But <laughs> exactly yeah (laughs) we'll go find another one yeah and so (laughs) like you know this this podcast is for sports grads the most valuable thing you can do is ask for and then accept feedback with grace so look for people who will give you feedback and then when they give it don't go oh but i was a bit tired or oh but just go thank you thank Mm. you so much reflect they might not always be right so darm now we, we now give feedback it's 360 degrees, it goes back and forth because I've matured a lot into my role. I now have skill sets that he doesn't. He now still has skill sets that I need to work on. And so we give feedback both directions, but it's always like, and sometimes it's not always right. Sometimes once you become more mature, so once you hit your 30s and you start, you know, start to get your straps, some people might give you feedback and it might just be their opinion. And so you go, okay, that's an interesting opinion. If that opinion keeps coming up, maybe they're onto something. But if one person says, oh, I don't like your delivery, they might just not like your delivery. And you're not for everyone. If you try and please everyone, you'll please no one. So it's, it becomes a balancing act as you mature in your career. But early on, every piece of feedback, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's a gift. Mm. How does that fit into making me a better at my profession or as a person or whatever it might be? Yeah. It's really, yeah, it's an interesting one. Like how do you, how do you deal with that feedback if you don't think it's correct? And I, I know you just said like you can't just disagree with it and say, no, I was tired that day or whatever. But how do you do that in a in a in a business like yours where you're all so close? How do you give each other feedback? And when if you don't agree with it, what do you what do you do? You know, you mm. just have to kind of take it and do some drabs. But um, I mean, that's just feedback, right? You well, kind of have to take it on. Years of working together help. So spending time together helps people work at because everyone has a slightly unique style of communication. I'm not a massive sharer of my emotions. I like to you know I'm quite logical, so I like to talk in logical almost scientific theory, here's my hypothesis kind of way. Whereas Durham is a lot more sort of an emotional talk and, and sort of more yeah. in tune with the sort of the feelings and the, the, he's much better at the soft skills than I am side of things. 
Um, so learning that, so knowing that Durham is going to be more empathetic than I am allows me to then communicate with him on an empathetic level. But having years of working together means you can just be a little more direct. Durham will do a presentation, he'll finish, and he'll go, how was that? I said, it was pretty good. In the middle, you'll kind of waffle on a bit, you did a this, did a that. In here, this that slide just needs to go, or that piece just doesn't resonate as well as you think it does. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. And then he'll go away and think of it, and then he'll come back and go, actually, that piece you said that didn't resonate, it does, it just needs to be delivered better. Mm-hmm. Or it fits into a different part of the narrative. And so instead of me saying, that doesn't work, get rid of it, and he just goes, yes, Jacob, I'll get rid of it. Goes, well, maybe it doesn't work because of, context and so mm. therefore you can change the context and still get value out of that piece in you know present a literal presenting type way um but yeah and so like i think the best thing to do with that kind of feedback is like well don't just get into fight in the moment yeah go, okay <laughs> thank you i appreciate the feedback go away think on it and almost always go yeah they're probably right that thing doesn't work how i thought it was or whatever it might be and then you can come back to that conversation later without the emotion mm. cool like more logic and go i think you're right about this do you think it still might have a place here Yes, no, maybe. Give it a try. You try it, still doesn't work. All right, O of two, probably that thing needs to move on or get taken out of the business or wherever it might be. Mm. Um, it sounds like you've developed that skill of taking and receiving uh, and giving feedback very well from Durham. What are two or three things that you've learned from Durham? If you could you know, drill it down to the top three things, because it sounds like there's a wonderful ball of wisdom. That- he is a wonderful <laughs> ball of wisdom. <laughs> If you could drill it down to three, what, what would that be? Yeah, so the feedback piece is number one because that makes all the other stuff work. If you don't take, receive, and give feedback well, you can't, you can't accelerate your growth. And so if you, if, you're, if you get all the next two or three things or how many things we go through here, right, if you can't do the feedback thing good, the rest, it's, it's a lost game. So it's kind of binary. Get rid of that or the rest doesn't work. Um, I think especially in my early days, it was uh, learning when to go hard and when not to go hard. So when you're young and you're enthusiastic and you've, you've got athletes under your control, you just want to do everything. We want to do plyos and we want to do VBT and we want to go crazy and do all this intense stuff. And you kind of want to – you've got all this knowledge. So uni gives you a tremendous amount of knowledge and you want to throw it down your athletes' throats. Mm. You often just want to like tell them all about the sacroiliac joint and the soleus and your <laughs> intrinsic foot muscles and all this stuff. And it's like – they don't care. <laughs> it's, a, it's a basketballer who's six months into their ACL rehab. They want to know when they can run again. They want to know how long until they get on the sport. So that empathy piece and knowing when to go deep and actually get into a rabbit hole versus when to stay broad and sort of level with the athlete on a, a broader sense is kind of the, the important bit there. Yeah. Unreal. I love that. Um, one other thing that's become particularly important in growing your brand of VBT and the app metric as well has been social media. Mm-hmm. When did you start to play in that space and how did you begin to create content? What sort of skills did you have to learn along the way? And have there been any other influences that have led you down that path? Yeah, so the content piece is not my comfortable space. I'm not very good with the social media. I prefer to delete those apps and just get back to work and make and make stuff instead of having to talk about stuff and tell people that I've made stuff. Um, but that's no good. You can't build a brilliant app and then have no one know it exists. So you gotta, you got to have an audience. you got to help share with people. One of the big spaces, so we, we noticed that VBT needed a better app, needed a better, simpler solution that anyone could use. So an athlete could just grab the thing, phone, device, whatever it is, point and shoot, get this set and go, oh, cool, I've made progress. I am tired, whatever the observation needs to be. So that was step one is make a better app, make a better solution. So metric is that. It uses computer vision, so no hardware, so it means a lower barrier to entry. But then you need to let people know that exists. But you also need to teach, what we also noticed was we needed to teach people how to use VBT because there's a lot of misconceptions. So there's the whole velocity zone thing that you need to be doing starting strength or accelerative strength or speed strength or strength speed, all these kind of vague terms that you don't actually see anywhere else in sports science. In the rest of the world, it's speed, power, strength, endurance, flexibility. They're kind of the fitness calls we're looking for. So there was this disconnect in how to use VBT and how it was communicated. And so I saw a bit of a, a, an opening there in that no one's actually making a specific channel for that content that teaches people how to use it. You know, the science behind it. So you know, we get into some, some academic stuff, but also, okay, well, there's the science. How do I use that practically? So I've got the app now. I've got the device. What do I do? And so that's kind of what I've kind of aimed the content at. Uh, I started at, what did I do? Started at January last year. It's so like January 1, I think I did my, cleared my, cleared my personal Instagram. So I had a 900 follower head start, <laughs> which is sneaky. Sorry to all my uh, friends who don't care about VBT, but I've been <laughs> roped into the journey. Uh, started with that, cleared the account. So I made it completely uh, a professional one and then just started doing two or three posts a week. 
Uh, and for a very long time, it was crickets, you know, no likes, no follower growth, things like that. and then just sort of just started inflecting up. And so recently, I've sort of gotten a couple of fights. I got plagiarized recently, which was an interesting experience. Oh, wow. We can go into that in a second. Um, but it was, it was like eight, you know, 12 months of nothing. And I'd done a hundred and something posts, and then all of a sudden, Lockie Wilmot shared one of them, which was a, a great little thing. He's a, a coach up in Sydney with athletes. He's got himself a pretty handy following, and then it took off from there. And so then, since then, every post has been gaining momentum and getting interest, and lots of conversations starting around this idea of how to practically use VBT. But in terms of making content and the sort of skills, I'd actually done a bit of it with Core Advantage. So. Uh, Two years in at Core Advantage, we're, we're doing okay, we're traveling along, but we were struggling in the marketing and the outreach kind of space. And so I started a sports science vlog. So I did a video on sports science every day on my own personal YouTube channel, and we'd then share them. This is back in the days of Facebook, so we didn't share them to the Core Advantage Facebook page and sort of content marketing, teaching people how to use different sports science, speed, strength, power, flexibility, tips and, ha- and hacks in these sort of four-minute digestible videos. And so I made 99 videos in 99 days. Wow. Didn't quite get the 100. I was just burnt <laughs> out. I was on a bus trip home from my hometown in Portland back and my computer ran out of battery. And I was just like, I'm going to bed. I'm not uploading that video. You've got to get the three figures. One no, more I, day. I did, it, I did it a couple of weeks later. I, I did a recap video on, on where I've been since I stopped the vlog and sort of kept filming. Yep. And I did one bigger video at the end called it 100 and, uh, and got that up there. Okay, as long as you got the number 100 out there, that's okay. I did get the 100 up, yeah. And so we did that and then we started the podcast and sort of doing this stuff. And it was just sort of, it was just more informal learning about how to make content. So in that days it was video, so using Final Cut Pro on, on my MacBook. And it was just, I'd edit a video and go, oh, I'd really like to do this little flourish. And mm. Google how to do X, Y, and Z flourish. It's like, how do I fade a thing in and out? And so each video you just learn one little editing hack or editing trick. And I consumed a lot of YouTube content at the time. So Casey Neistat did a lot lot of great stuff back then. So I just watched his vlogs and see how he would set up stories and set up narratives. Mm. And so it became very much about storytelling, which a lot of coaching is just really good storytelling as well. It's just creating narratives and and explaining things in a way that is sticky and and makes it relevant for the athlete. So it was just that. It was just learning how to tell stories. And some of the videos were trash. Don't go back and watch them. Some of them are horrible. But some other ones I'm really proud of. And like that was a five-minute video. I made it in three hours. It's got thousands of views and it's just it's a really good way of explaining a concept. And so I still reference those and link those to people quite often. Um, but yeah, it started as that and then I'd start doing Instagram stuff. So we started doing some graphics and some graphic design work there and it was just, it was just iterative. So it was never a, okay, I'm going to take six months and do this online Cert 3 in graphic design or video mm. editing. I just learned as I went. And I think the most, in, the value, most valuable part was having that schedule of every video gets uploaded before I go to bed. So I don't go to bed and, and some nights so I was up at 1 a.m. on a weekend making a video, which seems crazy now. But at the time it was just really valuable. It was like, I'm going to do a video a day, not work days, every day, seven days a week there's going to be video. And no one watched them at the time. That wasn't the point. The point was to learn a skill and force myself to make a thing. Mm. And then you just iterate. And each one just got 1% better or 1% worse. <laughs> but o- over the time of 100 videos, I would have got exponentially better, thousands faster, better, like able to see stories and know when a, content, a piece of content was good or bad. Um, and the same with Instagram, same with social. Mm. It sounds like, you know, in the gym, you're doing all the reps to build that muscle on your desktop at home. You just put in the reps to create content and get it better at producing at the same time. So no matter what, and, and I really like how you have that mindset of, I'm not doing this to kind of, you know, make the best video in the world. I'm just doing it to get better at showcasing what I'm doing. Exactly. Yeah. And, you see so many sports science students, or I do anyway, start their S&C Instagram channel and go, hey, welcome to my S&C channel. <laughs> they do maybe two posts. Mm. And because they don't have any sort of schedule, they don't develop the skills that would make them a good – because they've got interesting things to say. Mm. Um, but because they either have fear, maybe they're nervous about being – you know, uh, not being good enough or whatever it might be, they don't then post the content. But the mm. nice thing about social is it's out of the algorithm in two days anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and if you do, if you really hate it, just delete it again. Like you can easily delete this stuff. Mm. So as long as you're not swearing or making big, bold statements that could be called out, as long as you're just sort of try, uh, trying to provide value for your audience, it's hard to go wrong. But keeping to a schedule really makes you get good. And then you learn how to write. So people, mm. people don't actually think of writing as a skill. They're like, oh, I can't write these things. Just write a draft. Come back to it tomorrow, make it 5% better. Next day, make it 5% better, then publish it. Get it in the world because you said you were going to do two posts a week, mm. whatever the schedule is. Yeah. I, I could go on and on about how important writing is and learning how to write and how poorly so many people do it and neglect it. So I'm glad that you mentioned <laughs> that. 
Um, I was going to say, Rubes, you, you and Jacob are best mates in the writing <laughs> department. Uh, <laughs> if I had a dollar for every time Ruben said we need to write more, yeah, so I'd be a rich man. I'm actually, but it's, it's true. It's, it's honestly true. So I actually, I'd like to ask a question back. So you guys are on, you do Instagram, yep. uh, which I follow you guys on there, and then you're on LinkedIn quite a bit under your personal brand, your personal name under mm. Ruben. Do you have a schedule? What's your game look like in terms of the rank? So for me, it's it's two to three posts a week, mm. one kind of deep divey, one kind of light, and then a third optional. Mm. What what do you guys, how do you guys approach it? Yeah, that's it, a great question because I was about to touch on if you went into it think, with uh, having... You know, creating a habit of habit habit of it before you started. Writing, not speaking, everyone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, and for us, like having that habit, creating that habit has been extremely important. So I will try and write every single morning. Yep. Um, and in terms of my LinkedIn content, I've got better at um, finding out what posts work on certain days. Um. So on a Monday, you might wake up and see Ruben say. Happy Monday to everyone doing <laughs> such and such. Happy Monday to everyone listening to this podcast or okay. something along that to just get people started for the week. On a Friday, might be a bit more fun and feel good. Hey, this person just got a new job. Congratulations to uh, most recently it was Anantvir, got a great job at um, Netball Australia. Well done. And then during the week, we've got our podcast and we might provide something a bit more insightful. Similarly to how you might provide a tip on how to do um, a squat or a bench press for us. It's, you know, how do you interview well? How do you write your resume? How do you show your initiative at a grassroots club? So that's kind of how we do it, finding out what posts work on certain types of the day. What, okay. do, what do people tend to, I guess, want to want to absorb? And so LinkedIn's your main your main channel that where you guys focus on the most? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um, and uh, which was kind of funny because like when I started out, I – was more active on Instagram. I was like, oh, if we're going to create content, it has to be on Instagram. But then when we started posting on LinkedIn, by nature of what we were talking about, it was received much better than on, on Instagram. So Instagram's kind of been a slow grind, whereas LinkedIn has just taken off to the point where last week I had a post that has got close to 800 likes at the moment and has had uh, 45,000 impressions or something. Mm. And prior to that, you know, I remember going through university, just posting here and there and something might get 10 likes if I'm lucky. Even on Instagram, or, you know, if something gets 100 likes, I'm like, great. But on LinkedIn, it seems to be taken off. Uh, but that's just come through understanding what content works at what time of the week, uh, batching that as well. So there might be at some point on a Friday or a Sunday or whenever that I'll just map out, all right, these are my five posts this week, could be more sometimes. Um, start to draft them. Then when I get to the day, do I still like it, edit it, then publish it? And if I'm even more organized, we use a tool called Hootsuite, oh, yep. which will then schedule in advance. So nice. yeah, you, you never know. I might've just ducked off for two weeks, but there's still posts going out there. <laughs> yeah, Hootsuite, I use later. So same oh, yeah. idea, it schedules your stuff and so you can have your draft and then you can map out, uh, you know, so space them nicely during the week and then you get a little notification. Hey, Jacob, you need to post this thing, confirm, up it goes. Mm. Give it, quick, give it one last quick proof because there's always one last typo to find. Yep. And then up it goes, yeah. Mm. I really like that um, it's not so much about the outcome of getting the content up every day for you. It's more it's like, okay, my day starts with two hours of writing or it starts with the process of doing the writing or the editing mm. and then that leads to posts. So people think about, oh, I have to make a video. It's like, no, no, you have to edit. Mm. You have to film or edit every day or whatever the schedule might be. It's the process of making content, not delivering content that leads to delivered content. Yeah. Think about it backwards a bit. Absolutely. And I think, and one thing that has, because one of the other problems is how do you continuously create more content? Like mm. how do you keep thinking of new ideas? Every time I do a series, <laughs> I think this is the last series I've got. I've yeah. got oh, no, this is, I've done, I've talked about everything with Vivi. There's no more things to talk about. <laughs> and then a week later, I'm like, oh, I should do a series on this. Yeah, there, yeah there's three posts in that. Yeah, cool. And then I start the new series. Yeah. Well, creating content and then sharing with an audience, for us at least on LinkedIn, has just created this virtuous cycle by we put stuff out there, then questions come in, and then I will then answer that question for myself. Like I'll write on my notepad or whatever, hmm. question X, Y, and Z, how do you do this? Or what does that make you think or feel? Answer it, ponder on it for a bit, and then release it. Sometimes that leads to a blog post. Sometimes that leads to a longer podcast. Sometimes it's just a spiffy two-sentence LinkedIn posts. could be anything, but I think just having more conversations with people who are trying to solve the problem that we know how to solve 
leads to more questions we haven't thought of, which creates more content. Yep, that's exactly how I approach it. But then mm. I think that ties in nicely to your point about writing every day. If you're writing every day, you're thinking about how to make more content. It creates mm. things like, oh, you have a, you're having an Instagram DM with a powerlifter. So I'm trying to do this thing with VB10. It's like, ah, oh, well, if he's having that problem, surely there's another 10 people, at least another 10, maybe 20 powerlifters who are following me who care about VBT who are having a similar problem series bang there's mm. two posts in that there's a little carousel i can make there's a reel i can, I can film mm. or actually no this is a whole thing i need to write a blog and make a youtube video and go a little deeper in it for sure yeah so, and then on top of that just being able to like repurpose stuff as well so you know th this podcast might go for an hour or so we can then cut that down into you know 25 25 minute bits if we if we really wanted to and then mm. within that you know there's so many little quotes you could pull out or just like 30-second bits here, here and there. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of ways you can get creative to kind of do one big thing and split it out over an entire month if you really wanted to. Content, content, content. Ex exactly. Yeah. But, <laughs> but providing value. Like don't just spam people for the yeah. sake of spamming. If, if you're genuinely providing, con providing value and people are finding it interesting, then I like don't feel bad for posting stuff. You should feel good. It's like mm. even if you're not getting the likes, I'll often have people who've never liked one of my posts reach out in a DM and go, Jacob, I love your stuff. I read every post word for word. I'm using VBT. Your app's so cool. I wish it did this. And I was like, thank you. Yeah, that's yeah. great. And just like some of the posts. Tell me in the algorithm. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, that example is how we ended up getting investment in SportsGrad. Mm. So I put out a post one day saying the second iteration of the SportsGrad membership is now live. Got about 15 likes. And I was like, oh, great. Cool. No one cares. Yeah, exactly. No <laughs> one cares. But then your old mate from Res, Shannon Gove, yep. he then messages me and says, hey, I love the latest offering. Would you like to chat? And then, you know, 14 months later, here we are. So those little posts that you don't think resonate well sometimes can lead to the greatest outcomes. Big time. Massively. Uh, I enjoyed that. <laughs> <laughs> we love talking content. Mm. It is good. Um. Jacob, maybe to, to finish it off, just keen to hear what your your aspirations are for VBT. Where where do you want it to get to? Is there a ceiling? Uh, keen to hear where it's going to head. Yeah, so we've just launched the app last week. So that's now live on the App Store. You can download it and use it for free. So give it a crack. Let me know what you think on, on social so you can find me anywhere you like. Um, we think that VBT is a massive missed opportunity but the problem is it's not done very well. It's made complicated. It seems overwhelming. People get a little stressed out by it, which is fair enough because a lot of the stuff is convoluted and it doesn't match up nicely with existing sports science. So if you are already training in the gym and doing your three sets of 10 or whatever it might be, if you're doing that stuff and you come across VBT, it, it flies in the face of a lot of traditional stuff. And I don't think it has to. I think it accompanies and complements quite nicely existing paradigms of you know percentage-based training, RPEs, proximity to failure, powerlifting type training, power-based training, all that sort of stuff fits nicely with VBD. It's a nice aside to it. So I think everyone who lifts weights with the goal of improving lifting weights or improving athletic performance from lifting weights should be using VBT at least somewhat in their training. The big problem is if you make a big investment by a multi-thousand dollar device and you're paying a thousand dollars a year for a cloud software, well, you better be using that thing and better be getting a lot of value out of it. But if it's a free app or if it's a small you know, monthly subscription fee that you're paying to save all your videos and save all your data in, the, in, this, in this system, then it's a lower barrier to entry. And it's more like, oh, I'll dabble with that. I'll have a little play with that thing in my training. And so I think that's what our goal with metering is to lower the barrier, make it simpler, make it easier, but not simpler. So there's a distinction between those two. So easy things are easy to do. Simple things have had the complexity stripped out. VBT still has complexity to it but you can deliver that complexity in a way that's more digestible. I think that's kind of our goal, both with the content online is to make it, oh yeah, cool, I see how that now fits into my peaking phase or my in-season training or my off-season block. But then also I'm using the app, oh, that's what that number means. That compared to my recent history has made me better. So in everything we're doing with, with Metric and with the VBT coach channels is about that making VBT more accessible. So helping any, any person who lifts weights use velocity or range of motion or power or time under tension. There's lots of metrics here. VBT is a terrible name, just as an aside. Velocity-based training is not velocity-based and it's not just about you know those two, those two that single uh, metric in your work. So using all those metrics in your training shouldn't be hard, shouldn't be, shouldn't be a complicated process and we want to try and change that is really our goal to make it more widely adopted and just part of the normal conversation. So it's like, how much do you lift? How fast did you move it? That's the conversation. That's awesome. 
I think big ideas communicated simply are often the most exactly. effective ones. Yeah. And in terms of like, um, what's what's your vision for the app? Would you like to see every single person in the world downloading this app or every nice. a, every athlete? Like, how would you like to see the uptake? Yeah, of it? TikTok level growth is what we're after. <laughs> Get to that level. No, it's it's still a niche product. It's it's a niche within powerlifting, strength and conditioning circles, Olympic weightlifting. CrossFit even. Um, the first vision for the app is sort of consumer-based. So if you're a person who's passionate about your lifting, powerlifter is the classic example, somebody who's really keen on their powerlifting. Maybe they compete, maybe they're thinking about competing. Um, that's kind of our first focus market, build an app that's great for them. So integrating RPE, rating of perceived exertion type tools, uh, showing them progress on the estimated 1RM using uh, velocity type metrics and analysis, and then having giving them a place to store all their data. So they go to metric, they go in and they go, oh, this is my total tonnage for the last six months of bench press. And it's like, oh, I've got a sore shoulder. Well, yeah, you've done a massive spike in your volume, for example, or you know, those sort of little pieces of analysis are really valuable. But also down the track, as Metric becomes more, more involved and there's more features to it, a coach's version as well. So if you're an S&C coach at a club uh, or an institute like the AIS or VIS or something like that or a college, you could uh, subscribe to it and have a per athlete fee, you know, a couple of bucks per athlete or you know, price tiers like that. And then you can store all your velocity data, maybe do your programming through metric as well and deliver that. And the nice thing is because it's phone-based, if your athlete has a phone and they're away from the organization, they can still be logging their training and you can get it on your coach's dashboard at home or back at you know the chute in the office. All your athletes are spread across the country and you can see they're still lifting. And then you can see the data connected to that, the videos, send them feedback, things like that. So there's a lot of scope for those kind of features as well in terms of a coaching tool on top of the or alongside the velocity stuff. Amazing. And, and what sort of work are you currently doing on the moment? What's kind of in the roadmap to yeah, develop so, it further? Yeah, so we just launched uh, the first live version, which is basically just a single set record. As soon as you do the next set, that set is removed. We want to add the ability to save data. So you get a history of all your training sets within the app. And then from that, correct contextual uh, visualizations of the data. So you're doing an 80 kilo bench press one day, and it tells you last time you did an 80 kilo bench press, this is how fast I'm seeing it. Oh, okay. I'm faster than I was last week or than last session. I did more reps today than I did last time. So that's good progress. So those kind of contextual pieces, the ability to see and review your history, little charts and visuals of, of progress on velocity, power, things like that, adding more metrics. And also we want to make the algorithm more accurate. So make it more precise, work better in low light settings. So some gyms have like disco kind of vibes. <laughs> Metric does, it is computer vision. So it needs to kind of be able to see the barbell and see what's moving. So improving its ability to uh, do automatic contrast shifting and, and stuff like that. Constant little tweaks. So we've launched and everyone's like, oh, that's so exciting. What are you doing next? Like, We continue. Yeah, <laughs> we continue exactly. tweaking and, and making it better. So, And then um, get feedback. So hear what people like, hear what people want and add those features as we go. Unreal. Well, this app sounds incredible. Uh, I'll certainly be downloading it. Uh, not that I do too much gym work, but this might just spur me to, uh, to get in there. So... <laughs> Uh, Jacob, it's been unreal chatting to you. We've actually, we've wanted to get you on for some time now. So it's good to get you in the studio, albeit I'm not there with you, but just hearing your journey from, you know, from uni to that interview to then having that sort of that knowledge and direction to, to move into what you're doing now. And, you know, even just sacrificing salary for equity when you, that, when you're 22, 23, like those stories are just so valuable to hear. Um, and just hearing what you're doing with this VVT and, and all the work you're doing in this space is unbelievable. So thanks so much for, for coming in and, uh, and chatting to us today. My pleasure, guys. Thanks, thanks for having me on. It's been, it's been a good chat. A bit raw at times, but <laughs> I think it's good. Alrighty. Well, Ruse, what an episode. Great to have uh, some superstar Deacon alumni in the room with Jacob Tober. Uh Great episode. I loved how he fired us a question, eh? Yeah, well, you can tell he's been on a podcast before uh, because he's created his own podcast. So he knows all about, you know, forming discussions and those good things. But um, no, Jacob's an absolute ripper. Um, one thing that I took away from him, though, is all about feedback. Now, Jacob got extremely lucky at the start of his career that Durham was willing to give him feedback. We mentioned that he could have just mm. as easily walked away and said, this kid's not worth my time. I'm going to go do something better. But if you don't happen to come across someone as generous as Durham was with his feedback, if you are in a situation where you are presenting yourself, be really specific in asking for feedback because it is absolute gold. 
It is the only way that you're going to learn and uh, it comes few and far between. Anytime that you can get a handle on it, cherish it, learn from it uh, and improve from it. So that's something that Jacob's done extremely well. But if you don't have someone as generous as Durham, go out and ask for it. Yeah, absolutely. I think the other part that really stood out for me was how Jacob just immersed himself in what he studied and he was able to apply what he was studying to his everyday life. And I think that's really the only way that you can really sink your teeth into what your passion is and actually find what your passion is. If you are constantly just doing, you know, your study on the side and you're not thinking about it in relation to what your life looks like, it's kind of very separate. And I think the way that he was able to bring what he was studying into what his job was at the time was was kind of why he was able to build the passion that he had um, for the projects that he's doing today. So I think that's that's a, a bit of advice for anyone studying at the moment to just apply it to your everyday life. Mm. And then, you know, this might be a long bow, but, you know, you see people who are absolute greats at what they do, i.e. Michael Jordan, who is just obsessed with what he does. So it's kind of like mm. a good little lesson in career direction. Pick what you're passionate about most. most. If you become obsessed by it, you're going to be great at what you do, and that's certainly true for Jacob. I'm sure he'll appreciate the uh, comparison between him and Michael Jordan too. But yeah, finally, so. finally, um, the last takeaway is just create content for the sake of improvement rather than awareness. Jacob talked about how he just wanted to consistently create a video every single night and he didn't want to miss a single day. And he didn't mind that it wasn't getting any traction. He didn't mind that no one was watching it, liking it, any of those things because he knew that it was him that was learning the most, that it was him that was going to improve from it and create better content and eventually that would start to come through. So if you're just starting on your sports science journey and you're out there creating an Instagram account, create for the sake of improvement rather than awareness. Yeah, I love that message. Great episode, Rubes. You're on fire as per usual. Oh, well thank done. you, Ryan. I look forward um, to having you back. Looking forward to being back in the studio, my friend. Uh, but no, great episode. For those listening, find us on LinkedIn. Plus, be sure to jump into the SportsGrade community. We'd love to chat with you on there. Head to the SportsGrade website to join or head to the link in our show notes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.